Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for the truth um, of it, that it's the promises of God and we can hold on to it. And Lord, as Brian brings the, the word of God to us this morning, Lord, we pray that you'll give him clarity of mind and thought as he um, as he's worked on this message. And Lord, may your word um, challenge our hearts. May it stir us and um, Lord, may we come to know you more and more each day through your word, we pray. And we bring Brian into your hand now, in Jesus' name. Ron Nickel is director of Prison Fellowship. And he tells of visiting a prison in Peru, and he was addressing the group that was there, big group. And a man came towards him and he had an opportunity to speak to the other prisoners and he was limping. And as he made his way to the front, he was actually helped by a woman who Nickel came to know as Marie. And as he made his way to the front, he was lame, limping. And when he began to speak to the group that was there, he explained the situation, but they all knew him. He had a bad name, even among the men in prison. On one occasion, he had taken to one of the guards and in turn, the guards had beaten him up and had left him with a broken hand, a bruised face. He was put in solitary confinement as a result and somehow he got hold of a can of DDT insecticide and swallowed it. He didn't quite die. They found him in time put him into hospital and a woman, the woman that I mentioned before, Marie came and when he was in hospital, tried to minister to him. His name was Huang. And as she was talking to Huang in hospital, one of the things that really changed his life was this. You see, he had tried to take his life and I'll read just exactly what she says. She said to him, how dare you take your life when I would do anything to stay alive? You have no right. Your life belongs to God. He came to faith in Christ. But it was that phrase, your life belongs to God, that took hold of me when I read that. And while, of course, she means it in a different way, I want to take it as some kind of entrance into our subject this morning because our lives belong to God. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We're bought with a price. I mean, when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, that's what he says. Don't you understand? Your bodies belong to God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. There was a man by the name of Robert Murray McShane, Scottish divine. He made an indelible mark upon Scotland of his day. I remember when I was about 14 years of age and I was sick and I was in bed and, you know, I've always been in the goodness of the Lord, being keen for the Lord. And, and I was in bed and I was listening to real, to real tapes of sermons. I was about 14 and this is a statement one of the preachers said, I think it was from Keswick Convention in Britain, he said, and that's Robert Murray McShane said, live so as to be missed. And as a 14-year-old boy, that took hold of me and I thought I want to live in a way that when I die, somehow someone will miss me because somehow I've contributed to make life better for that person. 
And for all of us here, we have to remember that our life belongs to God. My assignment this morning is to speak to you as you continue series in Ephesians, to speak to you and the subject is, are people walking in love, light and wisdom? And the reading is chapter 5 or part of chapter 5 from Ephesians. Now, you'll remember maybe that the end of chapter 4, you have the words, Christ has forgiven you. Chapter 5, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. By the way, I'm working from the New Living Translation this morning. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. For a greedy person is an adulterer, idolater, I should say, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music in your heart to the Lord. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are just two simple sentences that I want to pick from that reading and make comments around those two sentences. And the first is found in verse 2, which says, Live a life filled with love. 
And the other sentence that I want to build comments around is found in verse 8, live as people of light. So there are the two things that I want to leave with you as they have been in my heart during the week as I've developed the message. Now it says, live a life filled with love and the answer is given because you are his dear children. And there was a time when you came to Christ and now you don't belong to the devil anymore, you belong to Christ. And isn't that good? No one thinks it's good. Isn't that good? It's great, isn't it? You know, and because of that, we're different. You see, one of the things you will have noticed as you went through Ephesians or as you have been going through Ephesians is that the apostle is saying, you're not the people that you were. You're different now. So don't pretend you're like them and don't try to be like them because you see, you were children of darkness, but now you're children of light. The transformation is amazing. You're his dear children now. Now, the series headings has the word walk in it. And of course, in the old, if I can use the expression, old translation, 1611, sometimes called the King James Version. It used to be called the Authorised Version because it was authorised by King James for reading in churches. And there the word was translated literally, walk in love. Now, when you think about it, you can't do that. I mean, how can you walk in love? So this is a little bit of grammar. When it says walk in love, the word walk is a metaphor for life. And so that is why in the modern translations, it isn't walk in love because how can you actually literally walk in love? I'm walking now, but I'm not walking in, I'm walking on carpet, you know. So it's a metaphor and that's why modern translations like the New Living Translation has live a life filled with love. The second grammatical point is the word love is an abstract noun. That means to say that you can't touch it, you can't see love. I mean, where is it? I'm sure there's plenty of love in the room here, but I can't see it. You know, it's an abstract noun like lectern. That's a concrete noun. You can see it, you can touch it. Shoulder, it's a concrete noun. You can touch it, you can see it. But love, you can't see love. So what does it all mean? Now, Paul says, live a life of love. Now that you're a believer, you should live a loving kind of life. But what does it mean to walk or live a life of love? What does it actually mean? Now, Paul defines what he means mainly by negative statements. And sometimes love is best understood by negatives. And as I was developing this message on Tuesday, I looked up that passage which we often quote when we talk about love, and that's 1 Corinthians, and particularly verses 4 to 7. And I found that that when Paul, St. Paul, is defining, by the way, it sort of just struck me this week, I was thinking, you know, we talk a lot about Paul, we're not talking about Paul Tabram or Paul whoever else. We're talking about St. Paul and just across the road, there's the College of St. Paul. <laughs> a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago, I had the privilege of introducing into the kingdom a lady who worked at St. Paul's across the road. She was head of department. And she was one of the people who took hold of the gospel with both hands. 
It was about six months after she was saved that we were talking together. It was after church. We were having a cup of coffee together in the church cafe. And she said to me, it's very interesting. She said, I was reading in the Bible in Corinthians, she said. I was reading in Corinthians and it was written by Paul. And she said, I teach at St. Paul's. You know, she never made that connection. Now, I know you don't need that clarification, but when we talk about Paul, we talk about this very early pioneer missionary, the apostle who wrote much of the New Testament. So he's writing to the church in Ephesus and he says, live a life of love because you are his dear children. And so he gives a number of negative definitions and he says, since you're living a life of love, there are a number of things that you should not do. And he's defining the life of love by negatives. And the first thing that comes to mind is sexual morality. And that's what he says. So we're looking now at verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. We live today, as you know and I know, I live in your world. We live in a highly sexualized society. Watch telly, go to a film, read a magazine, and you know that. And we do live in that kind of society. And so did Paul. And when he says, let there be no sexual immorality among you, he's not saying, make sure that your immorality is limited. There's only a little bit of it. But he said, there's no sexual immorality. I don't want to embarrass you, but the fact remains there's not one person in this room who is not the result of sexual activity. And I don't want to make Sunday horrible for you, and that was by your parents. <laughs> now, sex is not wrong, but the thing is, it's so strong. And that's why the Bible says, I want your holiness and I want your happiness, and so this is God's will for you. You want God's will? Here it is. Let there be no sexual immorality among you. It's strong. Now, there's a verse which you have there on the screen. And the reason that I point this out, it's written by the same Paul, and it says there's to be no sexual morality, and I've read that verse. And then another verse by Paul, and it's found in Romans 13, and he says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another, for if you love your neighbour, you will fulfil the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, notice this, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. Now, you notice he says, if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you do not commit sexual immorality with him or her. That's the reality. And sometimes people say, well, I love him so much. 
and you may. But if you love in a biblical way, that is, you seek the other person's highest good, you will not engage in sexual immorality. That's the biblical standard, ladies and gentlemen, and that standard has not changed. And you want to be a servant of God and you want God to use you and you don't want to live a mediocre life, then here's the starting point or a starting point. And it's great to see so many young people here and I would say this, establish a clean record and I know there's forgiveness and God will forgive all sin except the sin of unbelief. I know that. But keep a clean slate. Remain pure. Remain chaste. That is the Christian way. That's what Paul says. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. I read recently a book by Max Licato, and Max Licato, the name will be known by some of you. I've read a number of his books, and you probably have too. And one of the books that I picked up from our library in Cambridge is called Never Alone. And I'll read this to you because it's pretty sad, but it's also a warning. We live in those kind of days. It's a couple of paragraphs. Now, Max is a great preacher, and he's a great writer of books, and if you've read any of his books, you will have enjoyed them. But he says, when it came to my first smartphone, well, I wasn't smart. I took it into my office, unpacked it, and plugged it in. Wow, I can access the news, the sports, my emails, all right here from my phone, I realised. Then the thought hit me, is this device protected? Here's what I should have done. Walk down the hall and hand the phone to our tech team. Yet here's what I did. I entered some words that would allow an unprotected device to access an immoral world in a matter of seconds. She appeared on the screen. I did not look long, but any amount of time is too long. I turned off the phone, put it in my pocket, and leaned back in my chair. What did you just just do, I asked myself. I resolved to have a filter placed on it, but when I called, our tech team had left the building for the day, so I drove home. Even though it's been nearly a decade since that evening, I recalled it vividly. Denalyn, his wife, Denalyn was cooking. I walked into the kitchen and emptied my pockets on the cabinet. She spotted my new phone and picked it up. Oh, a new phone, she she opened the, the screen and to my horror, the picture was still there. The hurt on her face broke my heart. My explanation felt slippery and shallow. A tense cloud settled over the evening. We tried to talk, but the emotion was raw. I hardly slept. When I climbed out of bed, the sky was still dark. So was my soul. I slipped into the bathroom and flipped on the light. That's when I realised Denalyn was already awake. She was not in the bathroom, but she had been. On the mirror were three foot tall, uh, there was a three foot tall lipstick heart that has been drawn. In the middle of it, she wrote the words, I forgive you, I love you. And he said, it's pure grace. Now, when I read, I thought, it's so easy to slip into it. 
in the days, and by the grace of God, I haven't. But I know that it's pretty easy to access things that are sexually stimulating. And when you're sexually stimulated, you may disobey the command of God, which is very clear in Scripture. Now, sexual purity is God's will for us. I mean, it has in verse 10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And quite often we say, well, I... I want God to know God's will. I mean, I'm going to make a decision. I want to know God's will. God's will is easy to find. It's written down. It's written down right here. Let there be no sexual immorality among you. That's one, of, one part of God's will for you. It doesn't worry him if you have a Ford or a Toyota. It doesn't worry him at all. It may worry you when you're making a decision. But God's will is written down, and we're talking about one of them. And I just wanted to list up a few of the things that help us. To realise that sexual purity is God's will for us, it ensures a clean conscience in these matters, and not only a clean conscience, even though you're forgiven, there's an embarrassment that may follow you the rest of your life, and it helps avoid broken homes. You know, there's a verse in the Scriptures, and it's written by the same St. Paul, a verse in the Scriptures that I don't fully understand, but it's up on the screen there. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body like this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, what does it mean? When he's talking, I, I, I think I won't be too far wrong if we use the word life for body. Because your body is what you do your life in. And so it's saying flee or run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the life as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own life. It destroys families, destroys marriages, destroys a clean conscience and can destroy a walk with God. So when he says... Live a life full of love, he's saying, the first thing that comes to my mind is be sexually pure. And the second thing that he talks about is no smutty talk. And so he says, obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. One of the interesting things is that clean talk is a witness in itself. A number of years ago, we were getting an awning putting up put over our patio in Cambridge. We live in Cambridge. And there was a couple of guys came and they were putting it up. And one of the things that I noticed was the way they talked to each other. They would even say, thank you and please. And there was no swearing. And so I thought, these guys sound like they're Christians. And so at smoke morning tea time, no, I'm smoko time. No, at smoko time, I actually broached the subject with them and found, yeah, they are members of an evangelical church just out of Hamilton here. Just hearing them talk branded them as clean. And I will develop it if we get time. This whole idea that your talk, even as an employee can actually attract people to the Lord. And when you begin working or when you go into a new situation, 
People will know whether you want them to know or not. They will know that you're a believer if you don't swear and you don't have these smutty stories and these coarse jokes. And immediate, within a two or three days, I'll think this person's different. I mean, that seems to me the way that it goes. And as I was thinking about the subject today, I thought, I'm so pleased I was brought up in a home that didn't swear, didn't drink, no violence, and no yelling. My mother, she was a swearer before she came to the Lord and dramatically saved. I was just a little boy then, so I don't remember her in that phrase. But I do remember her having a discussion with me. She said, I don't know if it's right for a believer to use the word bother. I mean, your mouth gets cleaned out when you become a believer, or it should, shouldn't it? So there's no smutty talk. That's another way that you live a life of love. And another way is don't excuse sin. Don't be fooled by those who expose these sins. And elsewhere, the same writer, Paul, he says there are a couple, he gives a couple of excuses. And the first one is this. I'm free to do what I want. And so in 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, he says, You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And that's true today, isn't it? And I'm talking to young people. Yeah, you're free to do a lot of things. And in these highly mobile days, you can be in Auckland within a couple of hours and do whatever you like and nobody knows it. You're free. And there's a lot of freedom in these days given by an increased wealth that we have in our land and the good, some of the good laws of our land and so on. Yeah, you're free. But as a believer, you think, will it help me spiritually? I can read this kind of book, but will it help me spiritually? I can see this kind of film, but will it help me spiritually? Because I want to be the very best. I can be for God because my life belongs to him. Anyway, I'll get on with it. You know, when I was given this assignment, and that is to read this particular portion, I was quite overwhelmed. There's so much here, and I can only touch upon it briefly. Excuse number two is, it's just how I'm made. I'm made like that. And so you find the next verse in 1 Corinthians 6 says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, I wouldn't have this appetite if I wasn't meant to satisfy it. And some people used that expression and today it can be. Don't use the expressions. Don't use the excuses that unsaved people use. Don't use the excuses that people use when they don't have the Spirit of God in them. But the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you now. And here's another negative. No worthless deeds of evil. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Now, to avoid a life of sin, to say, Lord, I'm so fragile and so frail, but I do want to live for you. I want to live in a way that brings glory to you. That opens a door for the gospel. 
Because 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready so that when anybody asks you for the hope that is within you, you're able to answer them. Now, it's talking there almost certainly about a, a situation where you have a community of people, you're working together, it's either the family, your relations, it's work, your school, your university or something like that. And because you live a clean kind of life, before long someone will actually come and say, why do you live the way you do? It's so you have an opening for the gospel. And I was thinking about this verse that you have in Titus. Now, of course, in the time of Paul, slavery was part of society. Society couldn't have functioned as it did without it. And so a lot of the people who came to Christ were slaves. They were literal slaves. But Paul does say elsewhere, if you're a slave when you come to Christ, you're the Lord's free man. And if you're the Lord's free person, when you come to Christ, you're Christ's slave. So it all gets confused there in a way. But the point that I'm making now is uh, even a slave can bring Christ to the slave owner or to make it relevant to today, employees. And so Paul says, slaves, that is employees, must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good, then they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive in every way. Work well where you're working. Remember that the Lord is looking at you and you can turn the factory into a cathedral when you work for the Lord. So when you go to university tomorrow, say, I'm going to study for God I'm going to study for my Lord Jesus Christ today. And so I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And it will open doors and people will ask you and you're ready to share your faith. So there are just a few comments. Now, the next slide, it's got too much on it. I'm going to let you read it for, for a minute. I'm not going to say too much. I might. Maybe I can't help myself, but. Anyway, I'll give you a minute. Just think about it. This is explaining a bit more. I mean, I said there's a lot in the portion. You're born again. You're a child of God, so live a life filled with love. You know the name Billy Graham. Billy Graham died a few years ago, as did his wife. But in one of the books that I read about him, it says that on a wall in their home, it had the text... God loves you, and I'm trying, you know. So just submit yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to show love. Mordecai, talking about Billy Graham, Mordecai Ham was the preacher who was preaching when Billy Graham came to the Lord. Years went by, and Billy Graham then was a famous evangelist, and Mordecai Ham came forward among the crowds that came for counselling. And it so happens that he met up with a person called Grady Wilson, Grady actually knew Mordecai Ham as the preacher who led Billy Graham to the Lord. And they set up a lunch appointment the next morning, the next day. And when they met together, Ham said to Wilson, if I had my life to live over again, I would live it loving people. Sometimes when we're young, we think that this isn't my real life. My real life probably will begin when I'm about 40. 
what you're living out, that's your real life. Don't wait till you're 40 to start loving people. Show Christ's love right now. This is your real life. And so you've got the first statement there, the first sentence, and that is live a life full of love. And it moves into the other things in the text. And the second thing, uh, simple sentence, I won't take too long, is live, so uh, it says, live as people of light. And again, the question is, why do we live as people of light? For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. And as you have gone through Ephesians, you will have noticed that often the writer says, you were this, you were, but now. You were, but now. You were, but now. And you're different now. Don't try to be like the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mould. Don't do that. Because you're different. You're God's children now. You're not children of the devil. And you're God's child now. You were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. You may have heard of a person called William Shakespeare. I like to call him Bill. <laughs> Bill Shakespeare. And Lady Macbeth has died and her husband is. He's so overwhelmed by grief. And in the words of Shakespeare, he says, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Really, Bill? Is life so empty that it means nothing? And for a lot of people that you rub shoulders with and will rub shoulders with tomorrow, life signifies nothing. And that hollow they try to fill in with beer and parties and whatever. And by the grace of God, we know that we now can live as people full of love and people full of light, but we have to let it happen. And then in verse 14, you've got this verse. Their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, that's an interesting quotation. It's not actually found in the Old Testament. Where is it found? Almost certainly it's a quote from a new, uh, an Old Testament an early Christian hymn. They didn't have Bibles to hand out. They didn't have the courses that we've got, but they would teach them faithful sayings. They would teach them hymns. And in one of the hymns, almost certainly, it had the phrase or the line, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And in the context, what he's saying is be careful because everything you do is known by the God you serve. And those who don't know him, one day everything will be exposed by the light. What are you going to do with your life? I don't know. I won't have too many years left. And some of you have got a lot of years left or until the Lord comes. And you've got 60 years. You can waste them. You can fritter them away. You can. But this morning you can make a decision that can change the rest of your life. 
It was Corrie ten Boom who said, the true measure of a life is not its duration, but its donation. That is, how valuable your life is depends not on how long you live, whether you live to be an old person, but how you contribute to the well-being, spiritual and material of other people. You know the name Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo tells of being in a train and he was leaving Victoria Station in America and he was seated opposite these folk on this uh, seat and suddenly one of them, he came to know his name was James, James fell to the floor, he had a seizure. And his friend, he, he was like that for a while, well, and his friend took off his own jacket, put it on him, put him on the seat, got his newspaper, rolled it up, put it in his mouth so he didn't swallow his tongue. And Campolo said it was rather scary to see this happen. But his friend explained to him, he said, well, he said, I'll show you something. He, lift, he pulled up the leg of his trousers and it was a prosthetic limb. He said, we were soldiers together in Vietnam and on one occasion we were in battle and I had my leg blown off and James had half of his chest blown away. The helicopter that was coming to rescue them was blown out of the sky. And so the man said to Campolo, I don't know how it happened, but James screaming with pain, he pulled me and somehow we escaped and we lived. He said about a year ago, he began to have these seizures and he lived across in New York, the fellow who was talking. He said... He, I lived in New York and I came across country. I sold everything, sold my car, came to look after James and I look after him day and night. And Campolo expressed admiration and the man said, don't be too impressed. After all that he's done for me, what can I do but look after him every day? And ladies and gentlemen, we've taken bread and we've taken the cup reminded us of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus given for you and for me since he's given so much to us let's give our lives to him from this moment on for some it'll be a renewal of your commitment for others maybe the very first time but God is touching your heart and the spirit of God is whispering or shouting to you right now and coming up on the screen is a prayer. And if it reflects how you feel, you can pray the prayer. We'll have 20 seconds of silence when we respond to the Spirit of God as he has used his word to touch our lives. But pray something like this, Lord. Thank you for giving me life. Especially I thank you for the eternal life you've given me in Jesus. I now reaffirm my desire to live for you every day in love and enlightenment. Please empower me by your Holy Spirit to live like this. Let's all pray. Just 20 seconds, silent prayer as we respond to the Spirit of God as he's spoken to us this morning. Let's all pray silently, sincerely, personally.
Lord, you've heard every prayer and every prayer is offered to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.